What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 75 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host will be joining us shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode, Mike and I will get all caught up as always. In our educational section, we'll talk about transcribing drum parts. Our featured artist this time is Warpaint Stella Mazgoa. I hope I'm saying her name right. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the Natal Cafe Racer Bop Kit. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. What is this, episode 928? Episode 75. We are on the, on the cusp of uh, getting 300,000 downloads. Maybe wow. this week we'll do it. Yeah. Nice. That is awesome, man. Congratulations. Thank everyone for tuning in each week and laughing at our mispronunciations and <laughs> our lack of knowledge. Double and entendres and uh, inability to answer questions accurately. <laughs> yeah, we've got it down, man. I think we're, uh, we're I think that is scientists. Everything that you just described, that's what a podcast is, right? Yeah, pretty much, right? Yeah. You don't yeah. have to verify anything. You nope. can say whatever you want. And, and since it's free, it's like, I'm sorry, why are you complaining that we don't know what we're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't pay for this. Uh, it's awesome. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm not going to be coughing throughout the episode anymore. It's gone, that, finally. That is beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. What's your week been like? Busy week? Slow week? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, kind of the work week is, is always busy just trying to get the magazine done. We just got the advanced copies of the March issue. So we're talking about the February issue on this show for the next couple of weeks, but I just got the advanced copy of the March issue. So that's, wow. that's kind of how it's kind of like a time warp around here. Sure. Uh, but that that issue will be at the NAMM show. If anyone's attending, uh, it'll be free in the bins and the hallways nice. and stuff. I have a feeling due to the podcast, you're going to have a lot more visitors that just want to say hi at NAMM than previous years. You know, yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a home base. I'm going to be just roaming around. So hopefully, They know what you look like. <laughs> just You'll get to see what it's like, man. It's <laughs> walking from one place to the next because I know how you do it. I know you tuck your little modern drummer badge into your shirt while you yep, walk so nobody stops you. That's right. Head but down, you won't be no to, eye yep, contact. Yep, you go full <laughs> Unabomber hoodie, sunglasses, but you won't be able to do that anymore. People know who Mike Dawson is. Yeah. So I think you'll have a good time. It's It's tough, man, because it's it's not annoying in the slightest. It's actually amazing, but you feel terrible that you can't give each person enough time because each person, like maybe they've spent hours and hours and hours watching all of your videos and learning everything you do, and you can only give them like two minutes of your time. Yeah, because you're trying to get somewhere. Yeah. That's the frustration of Nam in general because it's yeah. you know I have to. I don't have to. I want to visit with every exhibitor in the drum division sure. and spend quality time with them. And, and inevitably, I'm late to certain meetings and I'm rushing through. Or I, There's been times I've just had to just skip booths, and that's just terrible. I hate it. But I'm yeah. going to try to do uh, social media photos of everyone's stuff you awesome. know, in real time. So if anyone is interested, make sure you follow Modern Drummer's Instagram page and Facebook. We're going to try to do some Facebook live broadcasts. Cool. Uh, yeah. We'll just see how the the Wi-Fi at the convention center can hold up. Sure, but we just did a Miguel Monroy just did a Facebook Live with Ray Luzier yesterday. It was our first test. Oh, cool! How'd it go? It went great. We reached over a million people. That's really cool. So man. It, was, it was great. It went really well. So we're going to hopefully do a lot more of those with different artists, um, different events. So Nam will be our next our next test to see if it's even feasible. We're going to try to get into. You know, into the rooms when it's not super loud. We'll just see what yeah. happens. But that's you know, great, man. Yeah, that's check it cool. all. Make sure you follow us. It'll be I think it's modern underscore drummer on Instagram. That'll be the primary feed, but that'll also be pushing over to Twitter and Facebook as well. Cool, man. So did you do some sessions this week? 
Yeah, I started um, kind of pre-production uh, about a month ago. I mentioned my guitarist friend in Philly, Ben. He's he's working on a solo project. He's he's been touring with John Legend and Jill Scott, but he's oh, nice. also a, an amazing songwriter in his own right. So he's just been sending me stuff to check out, and he's been sending me. Uh, he's the guy that kind of hit me to Jim Keltner, kind of indirectly. So I just started doing one of his songs, and it was it was just so fun to have like an old. I had my old Slingerland kit with you know no muffling and just kind of funky sounding, and I and I just experimenting with different ways to approach the song that were you know not drum set typical drum set stuff. Sure. You know, kind of more of a Keltner likes to do this really cool thing where he'll hit the snare and he'll follow it with like gradually decrescendoing sixteenth notes, so it sounds uh-huh. like a delay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does that a lot. So that's kind of like, all right, I got to use that technique using mallets, using shakers and stuff. So it was a lot of fun. That's cool. Uh, definitely t- different from the, uh, you know, here's a mid-tempo rocker and just play right. the song kind of <laughs> approach. Sure. It was cool. It was fun. And I mean, it was, I learned that uh, sometimes what your body wants to play is the exact opposite approach to what you should play. Yeah. So that's something I'm really having to you know, kind of like resist the urge to play drums and right. and really think like, what does a song need? What what can I remove? You know, no hi hat, no cymbals. Like now, what that kind Oof. of stuff? It yeah, it's fun. a different world. I mean, when when you see people that do that, and instead of that being a one time thing, that is their world. They approach songs so differently. Yeah, and and it's magic, you know. And for us. Uh, it, we have to put ourselves in that mind space for a little while. By the way, to the listeners, I'm really so- sorry that it sounds like my nose is plugged. It is plugged. Got a little <laughs> cold this week, so yeah, we're trading off now. You've got the funky exactly, voice. but but nobody <laughs> needs. To, you don't have to write me letters and what you know. It's like I'm fine. I didn't pass out and smash my face into the ground. I just have a little bit of a cold. I'll I'll hammer down some Theraflu nighttime tonight, and I'll be fine by tomorrow. So, so you caught that cold in the hills of New York, I assume. At the camp. I would as, I would assume it was there, and then and then the plane rides back. Yeah, yeah um, it's, it's it was fun. one of those things where everyone that was near me just had no common decency or etiquette for how to cough or how to sneeze. <laughs> It was like they coughed with their face up so that it could shower down an umbrella of germs on me. Um, and I was just like, what are you doing? Like, where were you raised? You know, and these are like nice people. I, I yeah. talked to them, you know. I mean, inevitably, you're just, you're walking, you're interacting with so many different people. Yeah. Someone's going to just exactly. blow spit all over you. Yeah, so point. I think when, you, when you're doing that while eating a very different regimen of food, because, I mean, you know, it was, it was kind of all-inclusive, so they have to serve food for a ton of people at once uh so i can only imagine how they're able to keep that stuff fresh so you've got that going on plus limited sleep you're going to get a little something but i don't i feel fine so everything's good with that but uh so okay one quick question about the recording yep i saw tristan kelly doing a little digging and he asked you about a new piece of gear so do you have a new interface yeah well that was i think I, i kind of alluded to it a couple of weeks ago, I upgraded my entire system. So I, I remember I gotta, that, but I didn't yeah. know you went like I mean, upgrading and then Apollo are two different things. No, I went. Yeah, I went as you this, went in. I wanted where I went to where I think I will never have to leave until right. until the equipment becomes outdated. So yeah, I got a, I got the Apollo uh, eight pre. I actually got two of them. So I've got sixteen mic pre's that are all Apollo Universal Audio Apollo. Okay, let me. And just those are amazing. Ask you this. So they're. There is an Apollo interface that has no pre's. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah you, have okay. to, you have to wire in your own pre's. And then so the one you got does have pre's. So these are your new preamps and your new interface all in one. Exactly. So gotcha. I, I was just kind of weighing out the options. Like I could, 
I could buy some mic pre's. I could buy you know a lunchbox of APIs or whatever. Right. But those suckers are like fifteen hundred bucks a piece or, uh, or piece. something like that. So yeah, the Apollo eight eight P is it's pricey, but it's like twenty five hundred bucks, and you get eight really good professional mic pre's. And, and do you notice a difference between those pre's and what you had before? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's um, it's we talked about it before. It's like it's like it just unveiled all the. Everything, you know what? The I do remember talking about this now. I just didn't. Re- I didn't know that it was an Apollo eight P. So that's yeah. kind of okay. That's awesome. What's, I mean, man. what's really badass about the the UA stuff is they they include their own virtual console that's powered by the interface, so it's not taking up your own computer CPU. Gotcha. And in that console, it's a digital console. You can select different mic pre's. So within the Apollo, I have. I can have Neve pre's. I can have API. I can have UA pre's. I mean, it's it's going to take me months to kind of dig in and see what I really want to use. Right now, I'm right. going straight, you know, clean, no virtual pre's. Just getting <sighs> used to hearing what it sounds like. But it's the detail and the realism is. It's kind of like what I said with like the the Earthworks mics when I tried them out before I right. knew how to mic my drums. Yeah, it was like, ooh, these are revealing all so much wonkiness. Well, now I'm. Now I'm getting all this low end and all this punch that I had to manufacture with compression and EQ before. Oh. So I'm, I'm rather than having to work harder to make it sound good, I'm having to undo a lot of my instincts. So EQing a lot less, compressing a lot less, not using as much parallel compression and stuff to fatten it up. Wow, that's awesome, man! Yeah, I've so I've really been thinking when I was at Sweetwater a few weeks ago, I was talking to their head engineer guy there. And he asked me what I was using. I said, I've got two of the Audio-Technica AT5045s, and that is my entire setup. And he said, okay, what are you running that through? I said, I've got the Behringer X32 rack. And he's like, that's great, but you might be missing out on something. That's It is an interface, but you can also bypass those pre because he asked me what preamps you're using i'm like mm-hmm. well clearly i'm using what it came with <laughs> yeah, and, yeah and then like his face just melted and he's like <laughs> wait a minute so you've got 2500 mics <laughs> <laughs> running into an 800 16 channel interface and i was thinking like yeah and, and my thought was but behringer bought some preamp company like yeah. they got midas preamp so anyways he said look i, I get it if you were running full eight channels and everything maybe this wouldn't be a, a good idea but if you're only using those two amazing microphones, that's your entire setup. He's like, I really would just bypass those pre's and get two Neve pre's, put them in a lunchbox. Like you said, it's probably going to cost me three grand total, but you're only using two mics. Why not make yeah. those two mics sound as incredible as possible? And I, and I asked him, I said, man, do preamps really matter? And he's like, besides the microphone, it matters more than anything. Yeah, it's one of those things where, uh, I mean, I still think you can get great sounds with with cheaper stuff. Um, Absolutely. You have to work harder and it's not necessarily an audible. It's not like an audible difference where, wow, that sounds a lot brighter or a lot darker. It's just sure. a, it's a depth and clarity issue that, that you really can't describe. You have to just hear right. it and feel it. I did do a, a session for uh, this country artist and I didn't tell him that I'd upgraded and he goes, man, the low end is just so much more clear and distinct. What'd you do? It's you just know the mic breeze. It's hard to tell anybody until they've actually started mixing for themselves but low end is not like turning up 60 hertz 
on the channel is not the same as the real low end from great mics and great pre's, right? Yeah. yeah it it's just a totally it sounds, different thing. It sounds bigger, but it's not like there's this big bump. It's not like you have a 15-inch right. subwoofer. It just sounds fuller. You're Basically, you're hearing more of the actual sound. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And I think that probably will be my next upgrade. And it's one of those things that I still have to tell myself they're listening to me on a phone. Yeah. Stop spending money. But <laughs> – you're in a different situation. I mean, for me, that really is how people are listening to me. For you, you're actually sending people tracks. And so I, I think it's awesome. But I, I'm really happy you got that that stuff, man. And uh, maybe we can even review that piece of gear. Well, yeah, that's that was part of the deal with, with UA is I'm going to review the unit as well. So uh, so that'll be, that'll be in the magazine. And, and so they I'm gave you... Be- Three percent off the, off the top. <laughs> it was it was still a nice deal, but I'm you know, I'll be paying for it for the next twelve years, of course. Right. But. <laughs> That's awesome, man. awesome, awesome. Well, I'm glad you had. I got, I'm glad you got to do that, and I'm glad that you're getting the gear set up where you feel like okay, there's no excuses. It's definitely not the gear. Yeah, right? I mean the the room becomes more and more a factor. You know, right. I'm starting to, to really hear like okay, there's this is not the perfect room for drums, but sure. just like I did with the other stuff, it'll just take me 6 months of experimenting to figure out what'll what kind of dials it in and cool, we'll then. see. You know, the goal is to not have to run samples for, on my drums. Yeah. Like, like if I could just get them a, a clean punchy sound to where they're not automatically dropping on a bass drum sample, then I'm happy. I think that's great. Man. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. That's awesome. I'm stoked for you, buddy. Yeah, yeah. So how was the camp? We haven't talked about it. Yeah, Common Thread Camp. It was fantastic. Uh, way too short. I mean, it's it's four days of time, but day one is more of an evening. Everyone arrives. We have a dinner and a hang. And then we have two full days of camp. And then on the fourth day, everyone leaves kind of in the morning. So it's really only a two-day-long camp. And it was just too short for how amazing these students were. I wanted to spend so much more time with them. Uh, I will say in a very selfish way, it's really hard for me when I get into my teaching zone, especially in a camp situation, to hand off the torch to Matt or JP, even though they're absolutely undeniably brilliant. It's just a selfish thing where I get in that zone where I'm like, this is what I was born to do. I don't want to stop. I'm not Mm -hmm. looking at the clock like, when is my little chunk of time over? I'm thinking like, we go until someone falls asleep. And I, you know, and this camp. How How many people were there? Uh, this one only had about 16 and I think, and the last one we had probably like 25 or 30 and it was just the, the place that set it up with us. It's called a full moon resort. Amazing place to do a camp. Benny does his camps there. Uh, periphery does their camps there, but they said, we are so sorry. I don't know how we booked this at this time, but we booked a very expensive camp like four days after Christmas on the week that everyone went back to school after Christmas break. We are yeah. very sorry. Yeah, There's yeah. no way that any of your fans can attend this camp. <laughs> so so we just, you know, Matt, JP, and myself just said, okay, cool. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, I'm talking about Matt Halper and JP Bouvet and myself. And we just said, let's make this the most intimate camp possible. And I wasn't planning on bringing this year's camp curriculum to, uh, that I'm doing for myself or for my camps. I wasn't planning on bringing that to this camp. But because we only had 14 people, I just thought – if you guys are down with it, why don't we make this camp every minute about this camp is about them instead of about us. Instead of us just hitting them with information, why don't we have a few enough people? We let's find out what their dreams are and and put them on the kit the whole time. So, yeah. I actually didn't even bring a drum set. Uh there was no Gretsch there. I just played on if I did play, I played on JP's DW. Um he has a smaller DW that's my same sizes. But uh, other than that, I mean, I almost never played at all. It was always a student on the kit. They were either on JP's kit or Matt's kit. And we were 
walking them through what it would be like. So we made them choose a destination. We said you have to choose right now these destinations for professional drum life. And then we put them through the paces. And it was it was awesome. And the people nice. that raised their hands said, I want to be a touring drummer. Matt took them. And they're yeah. like, all right, I did it yesterday. You ready? Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> and it was awesome, man. And then like the kids How's that said. How's your back? How's your yeah. neck? How's your shoulders? You know, the people that said, I want to be a private drum instructor. It was like, cool, sit down. And I'm going to go outside. I'm going to knock on the door. I'm going to walk in. And you're going to teach me how to play drums. Mm-hmm. And it was, we put them through the paces, man. And we had a great time. So it was really good. And most importantly, <clears throat> Uh, it's just something I need every year. I need to spend time with Matt and JP. They're two of my heroes and two of my closest friends in the world. And the time that we get to be alone together is just, it's necessary for my soul. <laughs> yeah. When, so. you know, nice, good old winter weather always <laughs> kind Bruh. of cheers you <laughs> Upstate New York is uh, the real deal. That's uh you came in the window where it it like it kind of warmed up a bit and then it got bitter for like the past week oh, and you came yeah. right in that window and today it's like a 50 degrees out so you son of a bum. <laughs> uh, it was all right though I, I I just tried to trick myself and I was like this is refreshing <laughs> but I, I did bring layers so everything was good well let's talk a little bit about education I want to uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about transcribing drum parts and I think This is either something that people did in their youth when they were starting to drum or they didn't, meaning that a teacher had them transcribe parts or they didn't, uh, or it's something they enjoy doing or they don't. I don't find a lot of medium uh, answers on this. And I'm assuming you were somebody that transcribed? Yeah, pretty um, extensively, uh, especially. I mean, that's kind of part of every um, jazz drumming student's curriculum. You kind of have to transcribe. You can't learn to be a jazz drummer without studying, you know, the greats whether you're transcribing their comping or you're transcribing their soloing. So I did – I have notebooks and notebooks full of Max Roach, Art Blakey, Roy, Roy Haynes, Elvin Jones, Philly Joe Jones. Uh, then I got into like Mickey Roker and Joe Chambers. I mean just tons of stuff. That for me was like I was I was a, taking a linguistic approach. Like I'm trying to just find the common themes, the common vocabulary that all these guys use um, – and then how do they put them in phrasing and stuff. So I did tons of that. Um, and also, I mean, a fair amount of groove transcribing, like the meters and things like that. Sure. Uh, now, what would you, if you were telling somebody that didn't know the definition of the word transcribing and you're relating it to this sense as a drummer, yeah. what would you say it is? I think there's there's probably two definitions of it. One would be just learning the part note for note, and that can be... You can do that by ear. You can do that. Okay. You can do that by writing it down. The other one would be transcribing it to notate it on paper right. perfectly. Uh, I did both. I was way more into paper mode as a student, and now I'm more into transcribing by ear because that's more challenging. I think if I hadn't spent a ton of time writing stuff down and studying transcription books, transcribing by ear would be much more difficult for me. Sure. Um, so I think it depends on what kind of a learner you are. I think. Uh, I think you get way more out of it if you memorize something. Um, a good friend of mine who's got his doctorate in in jazz studies at the musicology. He's a trumpet player. His he teaches transcribing like from day one with all of his students. Really? But it's but it's not like open up your manuscript paper and write this stuff down. It's here's Miles Davis on so what. You're going to listen to it every day for the next three weeks. You're going to rewind it and just focus on the first eight bars you're going to sing along to it you're going to you know get it so ingrained into your brain that then when you pick up your horn you say you can play it just by instinct wow and then we'll write it down and we'll analyze what he's doing 
That's so really he goes cool. like to the point of like learn how to say what he's saying and then we'll figure out why he's using those notes and those phrases. And I think that's way more valuable because it sticks with you. Yeah, when I yeah. when I would just transcribe stuff and write it down when I was kind of in a frenzy of I want to fill notebooks with notes. Right, 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 yeah. Like I couldn't play uh, Elvin Jones' solo on Black Nile for you, even if there is a solo. See, I don't even I don't even remember, but I know right. I studied that record, that Wayne Shorter record, a ton. But I, I I didn't I didn't internalize it. You know, it was good for academically saying, okay, this is what he does. He uses this sixteenth note, six note, sixteenth note thing a lot, or he uses this triplet thing a lot. But I didn't internalize it as much as say recently studying like Stuart Copeland. Like I memorized the song note for note, and I think I could sit down and play that song note for note for the rest of my life. Like it's just wow. there. It's just in my because I memorized it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess that's the two definitions of learning something by ear and learning something to write it down. But the end goal is still to just absorb someone else's language. Sure. Uh, and I think it's really important. I mean. I should probably do a lot more of it. I think um, I think there's really no better way, and that is the way music has always been taught. I mean, that's the way African drumming is still taught. Like you know, a guy plays a pattern, and you have to figure it out. He's not going to give you a chart. He's not going to tap his foot and say, "Here's the pulse." <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, yeah. listen to me do it. You know, five you know, five year old <laughs> kid come hang out with the drummers, listen to us play. I'm literally seeing like a bunch of people. In the middle of Africa with stands and sheet music. <laughs> right. <trying to> fit. <laughs> It'd be the weirdest sight ever. You know, I can't tell you how frustrating it was to be in a, a collegiate African drumming ensemble and have the master drummer never actually tell me what he's doing. <laughs> it was so frustrating. But at the same time, that's how you got to learn it. Right. Occasionally, he would tap his foot when we were doing some stuff that no one could figure out where the pulse was occasionally oh. <laughs> man is there is there a worse feeling for musicians than when somebody's playing something they want you to come in and join but you can't find the one yeah you can't even find worst. a reference to where it starts over <laughs> right and you just and they, and they give you that nod like come on in you're like i'd love to could you and they're just standing dead still playing their guitar and you're like could you maybe move your body at some just give me some inclination of where one is oh uh, that's rough funny. man well that that's awesome man so <clears throat> When you transcribe, do you hear it in chunks of notes? Like, would you take the first two or three notes one at a time, or do you hear it in parts? For me, when I transcribe, I actually transcribe the parts of the drum set. So I literally transcribe the hi-hat for, Mm -hmm. let's say if it's a four-bar phrase, I will transcribe the hi-hat for all four bars, then Mm -hmm. I'll transcribe the snare, then I'll transcribe the kick. Because I can hear those by themselves, but I can't put it all together in my head. I can't see how it's played. Yeah, for me, that's that's the phase when I can't problem solve it and figure it out as a more of a holistic thing. Right. So if I'm, and I think that's the way that that John Riley and a lot of great educators teach transcribing: write oh, the really? ride okay. simple part down, write the the bass drum and the high up, like divide it up. But right. for me, it's it's I try to start with just listening to to the point where I just kind of can hear it, uh-huh. and then I can kind of instinctually figure out the patterns because. Very few drummers are going to use unusual stickings. They're going to be comfortable motions. Sure. So once I can kind of hear the contour and then I kind of can just figure out by air drumming or singing along that hey, he's probably playing an inverted paradiddle or something like that to get those those grace notes. So then I just try to play it. But then if I, if I find I'm just not getting it, that's when I'll you know go step away from the drums, put the headphones right. on, and start detailing. 
you know, the, what's the ride doing? What's the, the sure. bass drum doing? I I don't like to do that because I think it it kind of it it gets rid of the the overall. I mean, the drummers aren't thinking that way when they play that way. Of course, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it kind of removes a bit of the intention. But only a programmer would think that way, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But sometimes you have to do it. So yeah, that's that's definitely. The yeah, I, th- I think I I'm also thinking it, it as a for me, the only time I've really had to transcribe and it was pressure packed is as a teacher, where someone brings me a song and says, "Okay, I want to learn this song. I want to learn this part." Mm. And the fastest way for me to do it is I I can hear the hi hat part within two passes. Right, and I can yeah. hear the snare with it. So. Um, but yeah, I think if I did it, but when I look back to my past as a kid, when I was transcribing because I love the music, I'm, I'm definitely thinking of uh, all the songs on um, Billy Cobham's Spectrum. I didn't do hi hat, kick, snare. I, I learned more than anything. I think I learned the feel of the part, mm-hmm. and then I started thinking, okay, but there's that one kick that I hear, but I'm not playing it. He's playing it. Right. And I'd right. find out where that was, um, and I still do that now. The one thing I try to do for myself and maybe this is because my career now is built out of being as much of a creative drummer as possible is i actually never get to the point that i that i have the part fully transcribed i'm taking influence from the part and once i get about 80 percent there i actually turn the part off and then i go on a journey and think okay if i was in this setting do i have any freedom in it can i keep whatever is gluing this thing together Mm -hmm. can i keep that so do you ever let's say you're doing the Stuart copeland thing and you're working on Walking on the Moon, and you get it totally dialed. Yep. Do you ever turn the song off and then jam the Walking on the Moon groove and yeah. take it somewhere? Yeah, or do I you think, always just play it as a cover? No, that's the that's the you know the various steps of you know what makes transcribing valuable. Uh, for me, when I'm in transcription mode, I I don't go I don't stop until I feel like I can play the song with every nuance exactly like the record. And okay. then and, and then I go as far as can I tune my drums to sound like the record. I want I want to have if I record my drums on the left speaker and play the original on the right, I want it to be just doubled and you can't hear the difference. That's wow. the, the goal. Not a uh, so in that degree, so I never, you know, I restrict myself and say, "All right, we'll let we're not going to stop until this is, you know, completely perfect." Yeah. But at that point, once I have it down, a lot of that stuff is just because it takes hours and hours of, of practice. That stuff is already kind of absorbed into my psyche and it just kind of shows up. Uh, but I do go as far as like if I'm transcribing a, I remember this, I was transcribing a Mickey Roker little four bar break off of a Herbie Hancock record. And it was just one little thing that he did that like, that sound is cool. I'm going to use that to fuel a practice regimen. And it was, it was, Man. he, he does a lot of like bass drum and snare drum hits at the same time. Okay. So like that's, yeah, that's the concept. I'm going to use that and I'm going to, you know, play syncopation exercises. I'm going to improvise. I'm going to use that as my, the way I accent phrases. theme. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but that's a different phase. That's, for me, that's after transcribing, that's what do you do with the transcription? Well, yeah. And I think a lot of people stop at the transcription and they never take it into that place where to me, once I've completely dialed in the transcription or I've gotten what I wanted out of it. I kind of feel like, okay, I just caught up to whatever. I just caught up to Steve Jordan on Gravity. Yeah. But unless I add a couple extra notes or unless I change it or add something different, then I, all I've done is plagiarized his hard work, which 
doesn't make me feel that good about myself. I, I want to say, okay, what did I get out of this? Could I play a song that if somebody came to me and said, here's an original tune, it's kind of got that John Mayer gravity feel. I don't want to play Gravity by John Mayer <laughs> yeah. over yeah. this guy's song. I want to say, cool, man, I'm very comfortable in that theme, in that world, in that groove environment. So yeah. I think that's that final step. And like you said, it is after the transcribing and working it all out. So Yeah, I mean, if, it feels like for me lately what what sticks and what then transpires into what I'm doing with other people is less the actual patterns, but it's the sounds and the touch. Like if, if I spent, you know, a week transcribing assassins by John Mayer with, with Steve Jordan, the chorus part, there's a feel to the way he plays that it's aggressive. He's kind of shanking the hi hats pretty aggressively. That is going to show up. And anytime someone presents a song that requires that kind of kind of feel kind right. of bombastic feel i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna shank the hi-hat and not use the tip of the stick at all right so that's kind of the so i'm transcribing for me is to get into the nuances to the point when then those become what i transcribe well isn't know. that even i mean that's that deeper step of transcription is it didn't take okay let's say that i have to do a who does uh rich redmond play for jason aldean yeah so let's say i transcribe a jason aldean tune just because i've got a cover coming up or a cover gig coming up it would probably take me very little time to transcribe the drum part. It would take me a lifetime to play it with the feel that Rich has. Yeah, um, yeah. And it doesn't even matter what your opinion of that feel is like, oh, but that's not this. It's like, well, I can't play like Rich. Rich has a thing, man. Yeah. He's got a very specific thing, and he's badass at it. So It's funny you bring up Rich because I had to – he he played on two tracks with an artist that I, I gig with all the time. I'm playing okay. with him this weekend. So, and so he he plays very differently than me. I mean, I right. played I played on most of this guy's stuff, and and he went down to Nashville and worked with Rich. So I've had to transcribe some of his fills because they're signature to the to the song now. Okay, and they're not things that I would ever play. It's a right. lot of kind of you know like fast sixteenth notes where it's like snare, rack tom, floor tom, bass drum, like okay. real kind of down the kit fast stuff that I just I just don't naturally do. Yeah, it's not your go-to fill in that yeah. genre. But yeah. I've had to transcribe them because I'm like, if I don't hit that that lick to lead into the guitar solo, it's just not going to be right. Yeah. Uh, but that in that case, it's a little bit different. I don't I don't practice to the song a million times because I already know the song. I've played it on gigs, but it's more of like, what is he playing? You know, what's the figure? Let me get it close. Maybe I'm going to miss the way he resolves it on beat four, but. I've got the figure down. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's a yeah. slightly different. That's more of like a cover band approach to transcribing. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think all all of this stuff is great, and you just have to figure out why you're doing it. But my pet peeve, I think, with students is when they <clears throat> leave it at the transcription and feel like it's done. And to me, it's like, man, all you've done is you've gotten – you've caught up to somebody that already did the work for you. Now I need you to push just a little bit more to make it your own so that you can say – if you want, I can play Funky Drummer by James Brown. Or if you have a song that's similar to that, I can play a Funky Drummer type of vibe. And yeah. I want my students to have that freedom. And, I, and that all stems from my own drumming. I just got to that point where I had these very specific grooves. And if I was going to play Squib Cakes, I could play Squib Cakes. But if you change one open hi-hat, it is <laughs> toast. So it's like, well, I clearly only transcribed Squib, squib Cakes uh, or actually, let's be honest, I let someone else on the internet transcribe it, and yeah. then I learned it. Um, <laughs> but I didn't have any freedom in that groove, you know, and so I want my students to have that. So, guys, if you have any transcription questions, and I'm not talking about actual parts, but just the process, please feel free to email info at moderndrummer.com. Is that right? 
MD info MD info at moderndrummer.com. And, and I should note that the reason we're talking about this topic is because the February issue has uh, – we're going to have a few articles in throughout this year in the magazine that, that covers transcribing. So we've got a couple awesome. of different writers who've talked, you know, covered the topic. So Steve Fiddick did a piece – Cool. For Jazz Drummer's workshop, and it's just the introductory is just kind of his 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 thoughts on transcribing and his process, and then part two will be a bit more detailed. So you can look in the magazine also for some of that. It's in the February and March issues, um, and like you said, email us at mdinfo at moderndrummer dot com. I'll get it someday, man. Awesome. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, shift gears and get into our featured artist. Our featured artist this time is Miss Stella Mazgawa. Did I get that right? Mazgawa? Yeah, there you go. All right. Mazgawa. Mazgawa. And she is the drummer for Warpaint. Um, and she is an Australian artist, but uh, born from Polish parents. And she is a stud. Uh, yeah. I, I watched, yeah. I did a bunch of research on her. And I love when band drummers, especially when their identity at the moment is really attached to a band. I love when band drummers know their stuff because it can go either way, and I, I actually kind of like both. I like the refused thing where he's like, I don't even know what snare I'm playing today. I literally <laughs> yeah. sit down and yeah. I hit it. To me, there's a brilliance and a beauty in that, but there is this thing where I kind of assume that of rock drummers, and that's a total stereotype on my part. I am one of those rock drummers, by the way, or was. so. Um, but I also love when I hear them talk kind of nerdy gear talk, and I watched some interviews with her, and she was talking about like, yeah, sometimes those hi-hats are just a little too bright for me, and so I just put yeah. two crash cymbals together and get that smooth, and I'm like, yes, go, <laughs> yes. go, go, talk gear talk. <laughs> and it, it, it was awesome. So uh, yeah. she definitely knows her stuff, and she knows why she's playing the gear she plays, and she's she's a she's a groove artist, man. So how did this come up? I mean, she's on the cover of Modern Drummer. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, um, it's kind of undeniable when, when a band is getting, you know, I mean, I completely honest i didn't wasn't aware of war paint before we started investigating her for a story so it's right. it's hard to keep up for me to keep up with all the new bands that are kind of hitting the festival scene but because they're really old. yeah exactly <laughs> i'm just kidding. i mean just kidding. i'm still listening to records that were made in 1955 i mean let's be honest <laughs> let's <here>. be honest <laughs> takes up a lot of time pretty soon you're gonna find this guy there's this cat named elvis that's gonna hit you he's dope <laughs> I mean, I'm just getting into the Beatles. <laughs> I was going to say, watch out. There's a British invasion coming in your future, buddy. Uh, no, but, I, I'm with you. And actually, when I started researching them, the one thing I didn't know is I didn't know that I already knew their music. I didn't know that those hits yeah. that I have heard a million times on the radio, I didn't know that was War Paint. I, already, yeah. I told you before we started, when I saw the cover, I was like, War Paint? And I just thought, that is the most hardcore... They're going to kick animals as leaders' ass. They are pissed. <laughs> and then I found them on iTunes, and I was like, or not. <laughs> yeah, no, they're definitely more of a like a ambient art, indie rock kind of a vibe. Yeah, and they're which great it, at it. Which kind of plays into what you're talking about with sounds, because it, you know, she's playing creative parts, but they got to be simple to fit within the mix, and yep. they've got to they've got to have the right sound. So she's really dialed it in. She's she's using the old Ludwig Acrylite. I mean, you yep. can't. You know, she's got it completely dampened up, so it sounds like a sample. Uh, one thing that I found was really cool about this interview with her was that she talks about limiting her choices because when you're when you're dealing with electronic music, you, you know you can sample anything, you could sure. bring in anything, you can load in anything you want. But she had she purposely limited her palette to very simple. Like I'm only going to use these drum machine samples. I'm only going to use these sounds. Yeah, which I think is is really important. I even wrote about it in the overview for all of us to think as artists of you know. Sure, you can do everything. You can try anything. 
but what happens if you only give yourself one option or two options? What yeah. kind of art can you make with that? Yeah, I mean, when you look at her kit, too, when you hear the music, I, I immediately think, okay, she's probably going to have some sort of a Richard Spaven setup where it's not massive. It's not like a Marco Miniman kit, but it's got a lot of bells and whistles on it. And then you see it, and it's like uh, she just borrowed like a kit from Jim Keltner's house. Yeah, exactly. And it's exactly. just you know, a four-piece kit. She's got a Roland SPD whatever on the side, and then she's got hi-hats and crash and ride. Or one did she symbol. only have one? Yeah, Most of the time it's just one. And yeah. She uses a uh, Istanbul Agop symbol, so I yeah. should I should you know give props to Scott Lichen at Agop. He's been supporting her from the beginning, and he's every time I see him at, at Nam, he's always mentioning you know check out Stella, check out Stella. Oh, that's cool. So it's man. been a few years of finally it coming to fruition, but you know, and I think that I think you know having his support also. I mean, again, we always take suggestions from the industry of who we should cover and i know that scott has great musical taste so whenever he suggests someone it's not going to be like nah maybe we're going to check it out because we just right. we trust i mean his the symbols that he sells are awesome so right and the artist i mean he joey wonker and he had matt chamberlain for a long time and it's the list goes on and on yeah. he's got aaron sterling so we know like his artists are going to be really tasteful creative the real artistic deal. drummers yeah well and i think too like one thing that I love is when you see her on the cover, it, by the way, kudos to whoever did the cover. I don't know if she shot it or had her photographer shoot it or whatever, but the cover looks great. Right. Um, Thank you. What's that? That was uh, That's Alex Soka, who's been killing it forever. Um, but we just we did a little bit extra Photoshop to kind of boost it up a little bit. It looks good. I mean, it, it looks like a cover. And sometimes yeah. it drives me nuts when... A drummer will just send in a, a camera phone picture of himself and be like, "Yeah, you can use this one" because they're just too artistic to care. They're like, I don't have time to care about this. It's like, man, this is the cover of Modern Drummer, so the cover looks amazing. But one thing I think is, I like, I want young drummers to watch her play and go, "I think I could do that." Like, and now maybe you can't do it with the same touch and feel, but she's not out there going full Thomas Lang on this. Like, she's just very tasteful mm-hmm. and she's playing great parts to really great music and i think it's very inspirational to know hey i can currently play everything she's playing just not with the same feel so maybe instead of learning 20 new things maybe i just need to get better at the few things i can do yeah and i I think it's awesome i also think it's super awesome that her first favorite drummer uh was one of the hansen kids uh (laughs) right who was it uh zach hansen Hansen, and i love the fact that she admits it and she's like look and and that's that's all of our favorite drum our all of our first favorite drummer is whoever played drums in our first favorite band. Yeah. Mine is Ricky Rocket. Hers is Zach Hansen. And then at some point, she must have just had her mind blown when she <laughs> discovered you know Tool and Primus and stuff. So I think yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, do you I know mean, that like she she replaced? Uh, do you know who Shannon Sossaman is, the actress? No, I don't. Okay, so uh, she if you saw her, she's a very artistic actress. If you saw her, you'd know exactly who she is. She was in A Knight's Tale. She was just in uh, M. Night Shyamalan's TV series, Wayward Pines. Uh, she's been in a, a million things. Anyways, um, so she was the drummer in uh, Warpaint, and Stella actually replaced her. Oh, okay. So, so, yeah, I don't know if maybe Shannon was just getting too busy with acting roles and stuff, because that was back in, like, 2010, but... Uh, they definitely had the L.A. art chick band thing covered. If you I have wonder, like, is is uh, that the bass player's sister? Maybe could be. I don't know. Is that the last name of the bass player? I have. A, I, I seem to recall the bass player's sister being an actress. Okay. Oh, whatever. I have to look it up. I should have done a little bit of research ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> 
but no, we don't do that here. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you're lucky you even got Zach Hansen out of me. That's that's so much oh, research. Yeah, the Hansen um, kid, you know, that kid. Yeah. But the one thing I would say, guys, is definitely check her out. Uh, check out Stella because you can find a ton of stuff on her on YouTube. And you can see interviews. And I, I think I probably get more out of seeing someone speak than I do hearing them play drums because I feel like I get to know them a little bit. And, yeah. and you kind of think, like, oh, I could hang out with that person. Yeah. jam with that drummer we could have some some gear talk so uh stella's absolutely awesome and her band like i said as soon as you hear the first song um i would say check out war paint uh full performance this is on youtube check out war paint full performance live on kexp the reason why i think that's awesome is because it's live so if there's gonna be a mistake you're gonna hear it and it's recorded really well it's shot really well but the very first song that you'll see is uh, you know one of their big hits, and then you'll go, oh, that's War Paint. You'll know who it is. Um, unfortunately, it only has two hundred fifty thousand views. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I mean, just that's like, that that just makes me feel so out of touch when I see that. But the the one that I found, I can't remember what it was. It was a festival. It might have been live at Bonnaroo. Okay, very well recorded, great video. But there's an awesome point when they first come out. You can tell they're they're tired because it's super hot. They're in Bonnaroo okay. in the middle of the day. Yeah. So they start playing the first song. I don't know if Stella has a click track going or not, but she looks over to the bass player and she says, pick it up. No <laughs> way. You can see it. You can oh, see that it. is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. It I was, love it. It was so cool. Like that's that's a band. I mean, they're that's how it know, goes. super confident. Yeah, they're oh, cool. They're, they're, cool. They're really cool. I think uh, I, I like that we're in this era of tasteful drumming superseding chops and stuff. I think totally it's, agree. I mean, it's going to always, the tide's always going to turn. There's always going to be guys who are doing the opposite. But I find something really satisfying when music is is palatable for everyone. But then when you dig in, you just hear the art, artistry, like the details in her drum parts. They're, yeah. they're not difficult, but take her drum part out of there. And would you have written something like that? Chances are no. It's all, it always comes, you and I talk about it so much, it, it comes down to choices. You know, it's very yeah. rare. Um, <clears throat> I, JP, Matt, and myself really let the campers know, like, there's no way you're going to impress us with your chops. Like, we are all close personal friends with Chris Coleman. You lost. You (laughs) cannot. You're not going to blow us away. You will impress us, however, with your choices because you will choose something that we wouldn't have chose and that will blow us away. And it does not matter how hard it is or how difficult or how fast. So I think Stella makes great choices and everybody should check her out. All right, let's shift gears again into gear review time. It is yes. time to check out the Nate. Is it Natal or Natal? Natal. I swear to God, man. I'm, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to get in any trouble. Like, all right, the, the prenatal vitamins, Natal. It's not Natal. It's Natal. Uh, so Natal Cafe Racer Bop Kit. Oh. Looks like all these kits come in sparkle finishes. Which finish did you have? The the one in the photo. It's like a uh, what do they call it? It's like a it's a it's a race car finish. It's the a, yellow one. Um, I'm not looking at the magazine right now. It's British Racing Green Sparkle. British Racing Green yeah. Sparkle. Because Natal is a it's a British company. It's owned by Marshall Electronics of yep. you know the amplifiers and stuff. And Natal has been a you know. a well-known percussion company forever. I think John Bonham used their bong- their congas and stuff. Really? Yep. That I did so, not know. Yeah, it was a cool kit, and it is a bop kit, so it's got an 18-inch bass drum, 12-inch rack, 14-inch floor. Uh, there was not a matching snare, I don't believe. Um, no, there wasn't, because I ended up using my Acrylite in the in the demo. Uh, but it's made of tulip wood, I, I believe. I'm sorry, you want to repeat that? <laughs> tulip wood, North American tulip wood. 
You ever played a wow. tulip wood drum before? Bruh, I'm going to be 100% honest. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a wood. <laughs> it's it's interesting because the Northeast, they call it tulip wood. In the Southeast, they call it poplar. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I have a bunch of it in my Gretsch. There we go. Thank you for tricking me into making me feel like a moron. Appreciate it, buddy. No, it uh, got me too. I mean, I was like, oh, tulip wood. That sounds ooh. pretty. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's the new jam. Oh, poplar? Yeah, we have that. But I mean, there's, there's been a trend in the past couple of years of, of manufacturers using this, what we supposed was a filler cheap wood and making full shells out of it. And sure. it sounds great. I mean, it, and it, yeah. it does actually bring the price down because it's, it's a cheaper, more plentiful wood to get. But it has a sound and it has a sound that's, that's really kind of fat and buttery and, and, and warm and uh, it totally professional. This is a professional kit by any standards. And um, you had it in bop sizes, right? Yep, exactly. Cool. Yep. It's, yeah, and it was uh, it could go a lot lower than than I expected. I, I was just going to ask you that. Did you did you play it as like a regular non jazz drum set? Yeah, yeah. Cool. The demo, which we'll link and drop in. I think I'm playing sort of a New Orleans. I think that's what it is. Some sort of like a New Orleans kind of a, a Idris Muhammad kind of groove. Uh huh. <clears throat> and I have it. I didn't even bother going up to the high tunings because it just the low and the medium tunings were just so nice. It, nice. I like, if I tuned it oh, up really? high, it just sounded like a bebop kit. Yeah, just like but the medium yeah. and low was like, ooh man, you could really use this. You could use this on club gigs and stuff and feel completely confident. Do you know what the price point is? That's one thing I haven't looked up. Uh, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't available at press time. Okay. Um, I don't know. At the Would moment. you consider this? Is this one of their high end kits, or is the is the Cafe Racer series kind of in the midline, do you know? They they don't really delineate. Uh, they do have a like a, a more affordable series, but the they have like I think they have ash and walnut and and maple. I think, but they're all just considered their drums. They don't really okay. say this. Yeah, is this or looks that. like maybe the Arcadia series is maybe their more yeah, affordable yeah, series. Yeah. That's the only okay. one. Everything else is just these are professional drums. Okay. They're going to be so at different like, prices because gotcha. of the woods. But you know, the same I hardware, gotcha. same features as their you know their most expensive option that they have. And this is a lacquer finish. It is. It's a. It's a gorgeous. It looked like a wrap. It's a gorgeous green sparkle. Now, yeah. sim- similar to DW, these are some pretty big lugs. Did you find that they choked the drums at all, or did the drums sing? I didn't notice any choking. Uh, cool. Very I cool. Don't, I mean, I don't love huge hardware on drums, but these uh-huh. didn't bother me too much. Um, they have like a sun, because the Natal logo is like a sun. Right. So those are on the lugs, which is a you know, nice touch. Uh, you know, all the hardware is their own. They're not using just generic factory hardware they hollowed out the thumb screws on the spurs and the floor tom legs so there's a little bit less mass you know little cool. details that, that make it a really nice kit uh, marco georgievic is yep. using the tall drums and he's you know he's definitely knows good sound when he hears it so uh, yeah they were seven ply tulip wood um great drums i mean i don't know much more to say this is one of those companies that i think you know people they're not getting as much attention here as i think they should so they're you might think because they're called Natal, these are an Asian company or something. It's like, what is what does Natal mean? But right, you know, it's all you know, UK made. Um, they I think might be bringing in some of the stuff from Asia, but it's a it's definitely it a is a weird kit. marketing thing for sure. I mean, I, I know that when they first came on the scene, I thought, oh man, one of the Asian companies is is now making professional level drums. And yeah. then for a while, in all of their advertising, they really pushed the British thing. Yeah, um, but it, yeah, it doesn't click for you, right? You know. Yeah. Uh, if they called it Breitling drums, you'd be like, "Oh, it's got to be, you know, <laughs> yeah, from the UK." Right. Or, uh, uh, but yeah, it's 
Uh, but at the same time, like you said, they make fantastic drums. I got to play them a little bit at the London Drum Show uh, two years ago, and I was really blown away by their quality. So yeah. awesome. Well, let's give these things a listen. Should we do some questions now? I think we should. All right, we're still we're still rolling through the stack that's been here for a while. Um, <laughs> so, but keep them coming in. We probably are due for an all listener question episode soon. Yeah, uh, and so I think we'll there's probably some people that were getting ready to audition for uh, music college. <laughs> they failed the audition last year, but it's probably coming up again this year. And now we can answer their question. <laughs> yeah, and this first question is going to be like, yeah, I discovered I had nerve damage in my foot. And you guys didn't help me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this one's coming from Simon. Uh, okay, so he – let's see. Where does we get to the question? He's been playing for about six years on and off. Um, he never learned to keep his hi-hat going in, a, in his playing when he was a beginner, but he started working on it the past few years to get it you know, more of a natural thing. Okay. Uh, so the issue is sometimes not, not all the time, but now and again, my left foot starts to spasm when I have my hi-hat closed. Usually when I'm feeling – into the song or get the adrenaline going i'm doing it unconsciously most but when it happens it's really annoying could it be me getting too excited or is it just a phase in my left foot journey wow that's a a weird thing i mean i i would say that mine never stops spasming but it spasms in perfect eighth notes uh, yeah, I perf- think it, perfect being a relative term, <laughs> but the, uh the issue is he doesn't say that it hurts or not i'm not sure if it's a problem yeah um, i mean my do let me ask you this: Do you, if if I if you weren't in the studio, you were playing a live gig, and you were grooving on the hi hats, would your left foot be dead still, or would the would your heel be keeping eighth notes or something? Uh, I would say, and most likely, it's dancing constantly. My yeah, f- I'm, I'm always stops. up on the 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 ball of my foot, and and I'm using the motion of my left foot to kind of my keep personal track. metronome. Yeah, it's yeah. like a, it's like a silent shaker most yep. of the time, not all the time, but. 
I'd yeah, probably so only stop it if I had to consciously stop it in a studio that had like you know it was all all wood everywhere, and every time yeah. my heel hit the floor, it was like gong gong gong. Yeah, right. But uh, and and that would actually scare me because I'd be like, oh man, my feel is kind of built on my left foot constantly going. Yeah, so. exactly. And I, I don't know about you, but I picked that up from Chad Smith early on. He, oh, okay. His his left foot is. I mean, his he's his whole body is always kind of just moving yeah. in rhythm, and his hi hat sound is is very distinct, and it, it's. I think it's mostly because his hi-hat is never fully closed. He's always kind of slightly opening the hi-hat on the eighth notes. So yeah. he gets that kind of like hollow, kind of wishy-washy hi-hat sound, even though it's not an open sound and it's not a closed sound. Uh, so I kind of picked that up from him. And and just it's just kind of a natural thing. I don't think it's something to be concerned about unless it's kind of disrupting you or causing pain. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I think maybe if, if it's causing pain, you're probably crushing the pedal too hard yeah but if not i would say actually learn to practice it learn to play your odd groupings against it uh learn to groove on the ride cymbal and have maybe four bars of constant eighth notes happening with your left foot audibly and then four bars where it's just the heel of your foot and the hi-hat doesn't make any noise and just get used to my thought is this when i play eighth notes i have the most options so when my left the heel of my left foot is playing eighth notes I can then choose to play all eight of those. I can play the downbeats, I can play the upbeats, and I can play a mixture, you know, every third one or something. But mm-hmm. all my options are there. Rather than keeping my left foot in quarter notes, then I have to learn upbeats. I have to learn eighth notes. Right. So the eighths have everything I need. So, um, yeah. all right, next question. Next one is coming from uh, Mike, a third Mike. He says, That's Great name. Uh, great name. So he. He works 6 a.m. to 3 in the afternoon, um, but he has potentially three to four hours to practice if he really wants to, which is amazing. Um, Right now, he tries to spend five minutes to warm up and then works on grooves that his teacher had given him and different fills and such. He's also been thinking about working out of the book Pedal Control and Stick Control. Uh, This still leaves me with a lot of time, so he's wondering what will we suggest to improve his playing and not waste that time. and if you play with a band, should you practice the songs on your own, or do you save that specifically for band practice? Uh, kind practice of on your own. Yeah, that was the easy yeah, one. That was easy. That's done. I don't even <laughs> want to discuss that. Um, go ahead, buddy. Uh, well, I think um, this is a, kind of a question that we get a lot, like how do I practice? And uh, you have a more codified approach to it that I do because I, I think it, it you really have to write down on paper what are your goals, what are your objectives. If I agree. If you have no interest in playing progressive or, or music that requires your feet to do a lot of stuff, then getting the book Pedal Control is really not going to be of, of value for you. Agreed. Um, so, yeah, I think really establishing your goals and then each one of those goals can be broken down into you know six-month goals and two-month goals and what do I want to yeah. have done next month? What do I want to have done by the end of the week? Um, but to get more specific than that, I really can't – I can't – say because i don't know where you're at and what what your your interests are um yeah i think just having that much time to practice really you you can't go wrong unless you're just practicing one thing if you're just playing along to foo fighters for three hours straight i mean yeah and you want to play jazz ultimately Um, so just try a bunch of different stuff i mean I, i feel like you're probably in the phase that that most of us were that went to like music school or really studied you know, and, and that that phase of our lives where it was just everything, absorb everything, try everything, see what you like, what you don't like. You know, I mean, get you know, check out other drummers, and yeah, you know, it's it's 
there's just so much stuff. Um, I think it never hurts to make sure you have a steady technique chunk of practice that's not too complicated, just basic stickings, uh, you know, work on a bunch of, you know, get your a bunch of different styles down. Independence should be in everyday practice and then yeah. learning the language by playing along the music, which I think kind of falls in line with your four-stage practice. That, that literally is the, the whole thing. I mean, when I think of independence, I think of non-creative. This is a puzzle to solve, and it keeps your brain occupied in a very different way than being creative. I would say this, Mike. Honestly, uh, just start with one of the courses on mikeslessons.com, maybe one of the independence courses. And if you don't feel that you're really, really growing from it, just email me um, through the website, and I'll just refund your money. Uh, I, I'm trying actually right now very hard to get the the current student base of Mike'sLessons.com to stop practicing the live lessons, and I'm trying to. Oh, I'm yeah. even trying to. Yeah, because I'm like, man, you're distracting from your own education. These are really meant to be drumming entertainment, and maybe it triggers something where you go, oh, that's kind of cool. I've never thought of that, but people are practicing so much random stuff. Which is fine. Uh, we all go through that. But the people that are practicing the courses, I've never seen that much growth ever in any of my students, whether it be in person or online. So, Mike, I would say choose one of the independence courses because that will really occupy a lot of your time because you have to solve these problems, these physical issues that you can't do, which will just grow your drumming. And then if, if you're like, man, this stuff isn't for me, just send me an email and say, hey, you told me to buy this. It didn't work. I want my money back. And I'm totally happy to do that you have to deal with my wife amber good luck but we will we will give you your money back so all right let's do one last one all right last one this is from tyler uh, his question is about consistency so he wants to dedicate this year to improving his consistency on everything time dynamics tone execution everything so far i can think of listening back to what i'm playing and also looking at the wave files the recordings to see if all of my snare hits look the same okay um, as one example how else can I measure how consistent I am and how can I work to bring those up? Uh, what have you and I done to work on our consistency? Well, hmm. um, I would say one of the things that I've done is that I've I, I'll just give you one so it doesn't take up too much time, but <clears throat> I've also I've recorded a lot of stuff where the click was in 16th and I just played maybe three bars of groove and then one bar of improvisation or a fill that was 16th note based and i matched up that grid as well so instead of just matching up did i land on the downbeats were all of the notes in between the downbeats matched up as well uh so something like that is really telling because it'll tell you you know even if your horizontal time is in check it'll tell you if your vertical time is dragging or rushing a little bit uh so that was helpful and i I would say the other thing is nobody ever asked the opinion of the people they're going to play with I don't think it'd be that bad of an idea to send your drumming to a guitar player or a bass player and say, hey, as a bass player, how do you hear this? Like, (laughs) what do you wish I was doing differently? Um, And they'll give you such a different answer than a drummer that's only coming from a drum perspective. Yeah, that's very true. And that was kind of that was going to be part of what I suggest is record yourself playing three minutes of what you think would be like a song, you know, whatever, like a, a verse part, a fill, a chorus part, you know, play like a song structure just by yourself buy a cheap bass guitar and then see if, see how it feels to play a simple bass line over top of that. Yeah. And then be great I mean, idea. it can be you can just use the open strings and just just play rhythms on the bass and you'll right. you'll hear it when you get to that fill you you if you're like me you might tend to drag the fill and you're going to feel it pulling back or right. or most people rush and you're going to feel like you have to move your bass part. 
to make it line up and that's that's the red flag for other musicians like is he is he solid or is he not solid it's those right. transitions and things um that'd be more of just like a fun you know experiment uh i think l- l- looking at your recording on a computer can be good information to see if you're hitting the drum ahead of the click or behind or if the waveform is shorter or taller but that means nothing if you can't hear it so i totally agree a lot of it is ear training you have to you have to train your ears to hear the subdivisions in such a minute detail and we talked about shannon forrest a couple months ago and yep the dude can literally hear down to 10 milliseconds of distance and that's not because he was born with three ears. I mean, he he spent time training his ears yep. to hear that. So you could, I would say, one. I haven't tried this, but maybe turn the click on sixteenths, like you said. Record the metronome into your computer, and then play something that sounds like the metronome. Play the rims, or play something uh-huh. that's very percussive. And then don't look at it. Listen to it. Yeah. Listen, you know, and see like. Can you tell if you're hitting ahead or behind or dead on? Can you tell? Right. If you can't yeah. tell, then zoom in and see and then learn, you know, teach yourself to hear. That's what it sounds right. like when I'm ahead of the click. That's what it sounds like when I'm behind the click. Yeah. When I'm dead on, you shouldn't hear. It should just be one sound. So I think that's the biggest thing is it's ear training, and that relates to everything. Time, dynamics, your sound, everything is kind of related to – you have to be able to hear it first. You have to Agreed. be able to hear what a drum a, – a, a well-tuned drum sounds like versus a, a poorly tuned drum. So yeah. spend some time just cranking the the tension rods and discover, like, this is when it starts to sound weird. This is when it sounds great. The ear training is, I think, especially for drummers, it's, it's, it's vastly overlooked. Um, and it's, you know, it's ear training of same thing, like learning to hear the chord progressions. All that stuff is going to improve your drumming so you can hear with more detail. Love it. All right. Beautiful. So that's that. I don't know if that really helped, but I'll try. <laughs> but we felt good about it. <laughs> uh, what a All woe right. is me podcast. <laughs> I don't know that hell. We don't even know what the hell we're talking about. We're just... That should tell all of you guys. Mike and I have both been doing this for ninety percent of our lives, and we still have no idea if we're doing it right. So, uh, yeah, just I mean, the more you know, the less you know. It's just, the, yeah. it's just the way it is. Just man. one to grow on. Go have a glass of milk. <laughs> Quit bitching. All right, everybody. So keep sending your emails into mdinfo at moderndrummer dot com. We will do our best to get to them. Now it is time for our picks of the week. My pick of the week this time is a TV show, and it was produced by National Geographic. It was uh, directed by Ron Howard, and it is called Mars. It is an amazing depiction of what it's going to be like for us to go to Mars in the early 2030s. So Mm. um, it's filmed in a way I've never seen anything filmed. It's treated as... They they bounce back and forth between 2033 and 2016. And they're so really the TV show takes place, or the movie, if you will, takes place in 2033. And then they keep going back in time to 2016 of what it would be like. What were we thinking back in 2016 to get us to Mars? So they're interviewing Elon Musk, they're interviewing mm-hmm. um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, they're interviewing the director of NASA, and they're and these guys in current day are predicting what it's going to be like in 2033, and then they're showing us what it's actually like in 2033. Um, getting to Mars is just something it's, – it's a very weird thing that politics stopped us from exploring our solar system. We got to the moon, and that was all due to beating the Russians. And once we had that done, we stopped, and we just hmm. became very satisfied with 
you know, uh, low Earth orbit, and we just stopped exploring our own solar system, and now it's uh, we've got guys like Elon Musk and Richard Branson who are saying, "Fine, if you won't do it, we will. We have the money to do it. We're going to. Humanity needs to grow, and we need to explore the solar system and pollute new planets. So, uh, <laughs> so we're working very hard to do that to bring our microbes somewhere else." Uh, <laughs> well, you got to find some oil somewhere, I mean, right? Exactly. It's like they've got to have diamonds there. So, uh, but it's it's very well done. I think it's maybe six or seven parts. So you're looking at six or seven hours, but it's it bounces back and forth between documentary style and um, and then going straight into the future. And I, I really, you will learn a lot about our own planet, about Earth science. So you learn a lot about Antarctica and how similar Antarctica is to Mars and why we're using it as a testing ground for what it's going to be like and uh, how we might eventually colonize a new planet. And that's an amazing thing to think about. So eventually in almost all of our lifetimes, we will have to sit by our television or whatever we have at that time and see what's happening with the first group of people that make the trip to Mars and probably won't be coming back. And we will have to think about how we feel about astronauts making a trip where there is no return trip home so it's a it's a great thing for the mind to explore and anytime you explore the universe you become much more patient with the people here on earth so check it out pretty crazy i just saw that i was watching please don't recommend a drum key after that <laughs> uh my pick of the week is uh the i mean it, it is a book <laughs> okay no, that's good that's deep that's deep let's do it all right uh, so <clears throat> I was going to say that I, I just saw a documentary yeah. on Pluto, and they have volcanoes uh-huh. of ice water there. They do, yeah. That was that was kind of mind blowing. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, actually, there's uh, uh, quite a few moons that have a lot of volcanic action just due to them uh, being compressed and expanded from the gravitational pull of their of their planet. But Pluto um, is active with ice plumes, and and because there's no atmosphere, what's crazy is their volcanic ash, which is ice and water. Just goes straight out into the atmosphere, out into space. There's nothing to stop it. it. Doesn't. There's no gravity to pull it back down, or not as much gravity as we have. So, it's a it's a pretty neat thing, and that's that's how we're going to try to find life. Is there's a couple moons of Jupiter that have that same phenomenon. So what we'll do is when those ice plumes happen, those volcanic ice things shoot up, we'll actually fly by and capture some of that liquid water um, that was liquid when it came out, and we'll bring it back and we'll we'll study it for microbes and see if we can find life in the oceans that are living underneath those surfaces. Wow. Or the T-virus, and we'll all become zombies and die. Yeah, yeah. All of it's good. (laughs) All of it's great. Go explore. All right, so my pick of the week. (laughs) Uh, One of our writers, Bill Bachman, wrote a great book called Stick Technique, The Essential Guide for the Modern Drummer. It's kind of the all-encompassing hand-building text. So... It's kind of because we also we also publish uh, Master Studies, which is kind of like a, a classic uh, treatise on technique. But Bill goes the opposite way, where where Joe Morello kind of leaves some of this stuff open ended, and you have to have a teacher to really show you how to use it. Bill gives you everything; he explains everything. The exercises are very specific and and systematic. Um, and the reason I'm picking it is because I've spent the past uh, month working on the single stroke roll exercise, like chapter one or whatever it is. Uh, and and it was a bear, but I was able to add, let's see, I've got my notes. I was able to add 12 BPM to my single strokes just wow. by practicing that exercise four or five times a day. That's a huge amount for somebody that's been playing as long as you because eventually you do kind of – plateau out and even two bpm would be massive you know it's not like when you first started playing where you're going to grow 30 or 40 bpm so 12 is huge man it was and it was and it's it's been cool because i don't 
I don't um, I don't take note of my maximum tempos ever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in this case, it was like, all right, every day I'm going to start at 85, and then I'm going to see how far I go before my left hand just craps out. And it's been a good barometer. Like each day, I know that if I can if I can hit the tempo I was at yesterday, I haven't gotten worse. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or if well, I take two or three three days off, I'm I can't reach yes the the previous tempo. I would also assume that not when you're building when you're putting in that much work to gain BPM, I would assume the more important byproduct of that would be the clarity. I would assume maybe you got yeah. twelve BPM faster. But it's super clear and super focused and super precise, which to me would be more important than the BPM gains. Yeah, yeah. I'm not using it for trying to play just fast, spastic single strokes. I'm still right. you, you know, really adhering to making sure I'm locked in with the metronome. I'm using the metronome on the offbeat, so I'm still developing all the stuff I've been focusing on for the past couple of years. But I wanted to just start establishing like daily. If I'm going to only have 15 minutes to work on technique, I want to know that I'm not getting worse. <laughs> awesome. No, <laughs> I, at least I I'm improving. Agree. So that book, Stick Technique, there's 90-some 90, 90 pages of really – really valuable he spent a lot of time studying you know the the art of technique building and and how right. to he's got he's a drum corps veteran so those guys have that down to a science on how yeah. to get the you know the best you know the best execution in the least amount of time so highly recommend it modern drummer does publish it i'm not plugging it just for that i think it is an amazing book that it, that should be a standard in everyone's technique library Awesome. Check out Bill Bachman's book. And they can get it on moderndrummer.com and probably yeah, Amazon as well. You can get it well. there. You can get it on Amazon. You can get digital version on iTunes or whatever, iBooks. Um, Beautiful. Well, everybody, go practice and learn more about our solar system. And then <laughs> learn more about our galaxy. And then the whole universe. So everyone, have an amazing, amazing week. Hope you guys get tons of practice in. Uh, and make sure to go and rate our podcast as high as you possibly can because it helps other people find this podcast. And then we can crack 300,000. That's right. You know, and you know, we've been kind of you know, sheepishly asking for reviews. But you know, we've been kind of stagnant. So I think if, if you've been listening to the show for a couple months and you haven't written a review, it, it definitely does help. We're, I think it we're does. kind of stuck at like 151 reviews. So I'd, I'd love to see us get over 200 reviews in the next week or so. I think that's Man. doable, right? 300,000 listens and 150 reviews. I'm not trying to call you guys out, but that's a little bit of beast. That's some BC. That's some bull crap right there. Get off your duff and go send us a review. Uh, Everyone have a great week. From Mike and myself, we are out of here. See you later. Peace.